not a second Put down your phone, welcome to the feckin' check-in show We might be playing Tekken in the techno-drome With Shredder and Spencer, but never Donatello The boys are back in town again, shenanigans from QO Man, the listener can't stop panicking Now tell your friends to listen to the sound of us pissing in the wind And if you feel like joining in, then do it for the win The sun shines, but I find myself in isolation But fear not, we've got beer at the cooking station Audio and video flows are coming for you The trainer at Jimmy show, it's cameras action doom the feckin' checkin', so check your feckin' pulses Lentils, soybeans, chickpeas, whatever indulgence Takes your fancy snakes, ladders, or piss politics Just sit back and relax, we got your weekly fix It's the feckin' checkin' show Welcome to the feckin' checkin' show It's the feckin' checkin' show Welcome to the feckin' checkin' show It's the feckin' checkin' show It's the feckin' checkin' show it's camera sack, it's camera sack, it's camera sack should do. It's camera sack, it's camera sack, it's camera sack should do. It's camera sack, it's camera sack, it's camera sack should do. It's camera sack should do. All right, feckin' maniacs, welcome to episode six of the feckin' check-in, the show about funny observations, entertainment, culture, and kernels of truth. And this week, we have a very special, long-time personal friend as a guest, he is known as Quinny, the Longfellow, the Green Lantern, and the Bad Wolf. It's Mr. Kevin Daly. Daly, welcome to the show this beautiful Sunday morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, too many nicknames to keep track of these days, but none, of, none are used anymore, I don't think. Um, one that I forgot was actually Quinny. That's a blast from the past yeah. there. Yeah, what was Quinny in, in reference to for the, for the listener? I think just because I was tall and they said I looked like Noah Quinn. And Mr. Daly, you are a flood engineer and you are based in Sweden. Is that yeah. correct? Of course, yeah, I know this so because you're my friend, but the listener doesn't know this. <laughs> you, you have the insider info there. Uh, yeah, so I've, uh, funnily enough, in this strange lockdown world, I got stranded on this side of the... Yeah, fence because I live in Liverpool and work from there. And then uh, I was here visiting my partner and child because uh, they're here. She's Swedish and she works in a town called Eastad. And then Denmark closed their borders, so I could not go back. So it was a blessing in disguise, really. But yeah, the town where uh, we're based in a town called Eastad, southern coast of Sweden. Apparently, it's where Wallander's filmed and from. If you're into stark noir detective, interesting. Dramas, I've never actually seen it. Though. And is it? Would you describe it as a good place to be in lockdown? Uh, well, yeah, yeah well, it's Sweden isn't in lockdown, so it's it's quiet, quieter life, but um, there's no rules. There's no rules. Anything, so that's much nicer by the sounds of what you guys have. Very good. Trader, how are you doing this morning? I'm not too bad, thanks. Yeah, just listening along there. Um, I remember uh, recently you sent on a picture of being in a pub having pints, and I was like, this is ridiculous. Uh, we haven't been able to have a pint yeah, in a yeah. pub in at least two and a half months, if not longer. So yeah, a bit different in Sweden. But yeah, I'm doing grand, thanks. Um, yeah, just tra- traditional afternoon here in uh, Ashtown, but I just spilt a pan of oil all over the floor, so that was a bit of a pain in the hole, which <laughs> delayed the recording. But other than that, all good. Very good. And just before we go into the main body of the show, the effects, could just one random question for our guest, Mr. Daly. Uh, what did you have for breakfast this morning? And what does one normally have for breakfast in Sweden? And by one, I mean you. Well, you're touching on my sea there a bit now, Connell Toomey. <laughs> oh, am I? Uh, well, I'm actually bloated at the moment from said breakfast. And we, we actually had what you guys discussed in your previous podcast or had a big debate about. Her parents called it brunch. <laughs> ah, yes. Uh, had a kind of a, a Swedish equivalent of a fry, I'd say, where the sausages were the hot dog type ones and bacon was streaky back bacon. Uh, some hash browns and... Bread and cheese, kind of. Very well. Ate too much and I'm stuffed now. Constantly. Very good. Okay. Well, that's enough of an introduction, isn't it? I think so. Although I just like to say at this juncture that frankfurters are not acceptable as sausages, no matter what country no, no. You're in the world. And now let's move on to the main body of the show. It's the feckin' check-in. So we will talk about funny observations, entertainment, culture, and kernels of truth. And we will start with a funny observation. And you can sit back and relax there for a moment, uh, Mr. Daly. You're the guest. I'm going to throw it over to Trainer to lead us out on his funny observation of the week. Go ahead, Trainer. Okay, so this is following up on a point I brought up in either episode one or two, I can't remember, but it was to do with Ryanair and uh, applying for a refund and that whole rigmarole you have to go through. So um, there was massive news like um, 
in all of the like, sorry. So it was it was all over the news there for a while like, that it was against the EU regulations for Ryanair to be uh, with, withholding refunds from us, and it was supposed to be like if if your flight is cancelled, then you are entitled to a refund. But they've just been giving everybody um, a voucher, right? That's covered obviously on an earlier episode, but. I've decided to just persevere, keep at it, and keep pushing them just to see where I got. So if you go onto the Ryanair website, you get uh, you get treated with a bot, a chat bot, and that's the only real means of contact you have. So if you go through all this bollocks, basically, with a chat bot where they're saying irrelevant nonsense here and asking you stock questions that just kind of infuriate you a bit more. And eventually, if you kind of, it's like a video game. If you get through the first five levels of the chat bot, you get to face the chat boss, which is like, I think it's a real human, although some of the responses are still kind of quite stuck and they don't really pay attention to what you say and they give you these kind of tried and tested answers that they hope will make you piss off, basically. Um, but I, I persevered. I, I defeated the boss. I defeated M. Bison. And I was like, look, I don't want a voucher. I want a refund. Uh, so stop offering me a voucher, please. Um, this is not what I want. I, I don't want to fly in six months' time when prices were presumably are going to be quite high. I don't have anywhere in mind I want to go. I just like a refund, please. So your man eventually relented and said, okay, look, we'll contact you with information about a refund, but we won't be able to process it right now because all of our staff are working from home and for security reasons, we can't process a refund. And I was like, well, PayPal and Ticketmaster have staff working from home and they're able to process refunds. But I knew this person was only just doing what they were told. So I eventually just agreed to whatever nonsense he was going to send me on. And it was in the form of an email. So this is what the email says. So it's a dear customer. I refer to your recent correspondence regarding your booking, etc. I acknowledge that you do not wish to accept your refund in voucher format at this time. And I've requested to remain on the cash refund queue. Now for a start, I didn't request to remain on any queue. I requested a cash refund. So they're already putting words in your mouth and, and changing the kind of conversation about what you've just discussed. But anyway, uh, you wish to remain in the cash refund queue. Please note, until such time as you receive your cash refund, your voucher will remain valid and can be used to purchase flights and ancillaries for any future trip you may wish to plan. Already told them I don't want to plan any future trips, but there you go. Um, Please note that our refund processing has been negatively affected by the COVID-19 crisis. However, we will process your refund as soon as possible. Our priority remains the health and well-being of our people and customers. Your priority remains my health and well-being. I don't understand that. Why are you trying to push me to get on a flight if you, you, your priority remains to be my well-being? Um, uh, thank you sincerely for your patience and support. You're sincerely Reiner Customer Services. Now, I've actually rewritten um, that email in real terms, and this is what they're actually saying to you as far as I'm concerned. We acknowledge you don't want a voucher. However, we're giving it to you anyway, so tough shit. This unwanted voucher can be used to purchase things which are currently unavailable, such as flights and other shit you don't want like our completely redundant priority boarding service. Ryanair is talking out of its ass, and we hope you go away for six months and leave us alone. <laughs> this reminds me there of a flip version of the uh, drama you guys acted out in Open Us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the experimental episode. <laughs> but seriously, like, there, there's so much lies in that. Like, we, we noticed that you requested to join the queue. And our priority remains your health and well-being. That's just such a barefaced lie. I, can't even, I don't even know where to start with it. it that's a, such, such a bullshit lie. Like, yeah, given um, the whole world's uh, advices, do not travel for your yeah. health. And then they're, then they're uh, re- recommending you to purchase flights and ancillary. Priority boarding would be considered an ancillary. And as I said there, it's completely redundant now because if you go to join the priority boarding queue on a Ryanair flight these days, it's about five times the length of the non-priority boarding queue, completely nullifying the whole fucking sure. perk of priority boarding. It's, mm. There's a culture of dishonesty with Ryanair, isn't it? The way they never are upfront yeah. about what they're doing or they, they make it just go this way go that way and they never really tell you what they're thinking exactly yeah like and it, i mean it's yeah. like shooting fish in a barrel giving out about ryanair and I, i'm aware of that but like i think this time it's warranted it's not something like oh i got stung with a 50 euro fee at the airport yeah that was your fault but this <laughs> isn't anybody's fault but just stop lying to us and, and lion air <laughs> so is, is, is this is, is this already a potential snake of the week in the first uh, topic <laughs> well, were they done as snake last time? <laughs> I don't know if they were, but yes, I, I would go as far as saying before we even hear any of the other points that Ryanair well, are two faced. <laughs> fa- well, are you going to say something there to me? <laughs> <laughs> I just don't want us to commit to that. I think it's so. Maybe I'll yeah, leave that for the end. Good thinking. Okay. Okay, and that brings us on to our very special guest's uh, funny observation of the week. Uh, go ahead, Mr. Daly. Practically fell into my lap one day when I was out walking with uh, Sarah, my partner, and her kids. And then we looked, I looked across the road with the Sarah and I was like, look at that. They're like, what? It's a dog in a pram or a buggy and the person's pushing it. The dog was just sitting up. 
I was, okay. like, straight, I was like, you know, what was, what's wrong with this picture? And I, I look at the phone, I got a photo and everything from across the road. But I watched it for about, whatever, good, about probably minutes. So I walked by going, the dog seems fine. He's just sitting up. It was a smallish dog, but still one you'd expect to see on a leash or going free in the park. And then I was thinking, well, I mean, I'd probably have to explain or stretch this out a bit more because I was like, that's it there and then, just a dog <laughs> and frowning. But then in the next probably a couple of weeks, I actually got more um, uh, well, ammunition from a tournament to us to strengthen this uh, topic as well. That um, we were in a shop, then a clothes shop, and there was this, um, I'd say, very stiff upper lip posh sort of old lady in there and then she had their dog who was kind of i don't know i just sometimes i think it's funny that you see owners sort of style their dog like them kind of form them like they are so the dog looked like a posh dog and it was wearing clothes indoors like had a jacket and everything on it's quite small and i was just like kind of the same team of just i guess people who kind of treat their pets as people or children like as rather than like an animal yeah they are and then later on, a few days after that, we were in a car park just by our um, apartment block. And there was, these, there was this woman with a dog, she's speaking in Swedish, so, but Sarah was with me and she translated after. She said uh, she was laughing. I said, what? She goes, the woman was basically talking to the dog and she's translated exactly. She said, she's, the woman said, you know, mother and you have talked about this. Mother doesn't like it when you do this. <laughs> so it's just like obviously you talk to a dog to say you know here boy or here name and talk yeah. about it probably but <laughs> and you'd assume like a dog would be more comfortable funny. a dog would be more comfortable surely just walking around like it would be an awkward position yeah, to get into exactly. to sit in a pram um, and, and also I was thinking does the human have the pram just for the dog or do they have a kid and the kid's just not there at the moment so, like yeah. so many levels very strange and, and, and the, the, talking to the pet and saying you know we've talked about this that's to assume that yeah. the pet is, has some kind of um, understanding <laughs> or <laughs> of english <laughs> and can exactly. refer to previous discussions yeah. that they've had so we're coming on to entertainment in the fec acronym uh so trainer we'll throw it over to you for your entertainment observation of the week uh, yes, so my entertainment for this week is a WWE Network documentary, which I have spoken about in our group WhatsApp. It's called The Last Ride, and it documents uh, three years of the career of the professional wrestler, The Undertaker, uh, from just before uh, WrestleMania, that was three years ago, I can't remember if it was 33, uh, just before that, up until the present day, so in 2020. And it, what's, what's interesting about it and different about it is The Undertaker, or Mark Calloway, has been in WWE for 30 years, uh, an unbroken spell, he never went anywhere else, he never never jumped to WCW or he never left for any reason uh, other than injury or whatever. Uh, but he's never really been given the behind-the-scenes treatment that they've given to a lot of their top stars, so the likes of John Cena and Stone Cold and Triple H and all of those people. There's plenty of documentary footage available on all of those people. And you get a sense of what their personal life is like and you get a sense of what they're like as a person. But with The Undertaker, save for one documentary feature they did about 20 years ago when he was doing the American Badass persona, and that was kind of in character. Uh, I think it was called This Is My Yard. They've never done anything like like that on him because he's, he's notoriously private and he's an old school wrestler and he likes to protect the business and all that type of stuff but he's kind of loosened his um, his grip on that over the past few years and he's allowed a few interviews and he's allowed a few people into his life and uh, what what famously happened uh, when he wrestled at, in Wrestlemania in 2017 he had an atrocious match and uh, he was in really bad shape he wasn't physically able to perform and the documentary kind of picks up there and he's very open and honest about his um doubts about whether he still had it as a performer and his anxiety about having such a high profile match when he didn't feel like he was able to anymore and also his concern that he knows if he's going to be on the show that an up and coming wrestler who's worked hard all year isn't going to make it onto the show and he has so many many conflicting emotions about this but he has such a deep loyalty to Vince McMahon as well where if Vince asks him to do something he's going to do it to the best of his ability so anyway after that match he famously uh, lost to Roman Reigns and he left his hat and his gloves and his jacket in the ring and a spotlight shone down on them. And to anybody watching, which I was at the time and obviously many others were, it seemed like he was retiring. It seemed like he was saying, by not saying anything, but by his actions, that this is my last match and I'm leaving this in the ring now. And it was very symbolic and it was quite touching in a way. And afterwards, he actually went over to his wife in the crowd, Michelle McCool, who used to be a wrestler as well. I went over and kissed her 
And that's the Undertaker character going over to kiss his wife on the lips at WrestleMania, something he had never done before. So it seemed like he was symbolically saying he'd retired. He was breaking character. He was going over and acknowledging that he had a wife, like the Undertaker, the fucking zombie dead man character, going over and kissing his wife on the lips and then walking out. Uh, and he did the old raising of the hand at the top of the entranceway. But uh, he was so disappointed with his performance in that match that he felt he couldn't leave it there. And he felt like he had to redeem himself and have at least one more match just to show people and the audience and the world that that's not how he wants to be remembered and that's not how he should be remembered. So that's only just a, a kind of a taster. There's been two episodes up now and it starts off at that point and it just goes deep into the character and the personality of the man, Mark Calloway, who for me and for many even casual wrestling fans is one of the most interesting people in WWE just because of the length of his tenure and because of his kind of dark persona and, and his privacy as well in his personal life. For for me, it's a completely intriguing uh, documentary and it's groundbreaking really because I've never done anything like it before. Yeah, it's parallels with the, the Last Dance documentary about Michael Jordan and it, it reminds me of Michael Jordan's career ending perfectly with the Chicago Bulls with the final shot in the last uh, couple of seconds of the match. It was just a beautiful, beautiful. image of him taking that last shot. And I, I felt that with The Undertaker at WrestleMania, that when he left his hat and everything, as you described in the ring, and all those symbolic um, things he did, I thought that was the perfect ending for him. So I'm shocked that he thought that that, that was a poor display from him because uh, I thought that was, that was the perfect way for him to go. I don't, I don't think he could do too much better. That's just for me as a casual fan looking at it. Unless you had the opponent who was a super not too heavy guy who makes it look really good against him in the next match kind of thing. Yeah, I, I think the thrown around the place. I, I think the improvement he could make in his performance would be incremental, I would say. Like he could do the moves a bit better and move around, but he's still gonna be that what age is he? Fifty nine or something? <laughs> like this fifty five just crazy. Someone who's seven foot tall and uh, Yeah. Yeah. Plus but, as well, like um yeah, that, that ending it was poetic. So he can't do that again. Yeah. Yeah. Well or, it's, it's a bit like Michael Jordan. His ending was that perfect shot for the Chicago Bulls, but then he came back three years later with the Washington Wizard and it was a much more somber ending ending that people try to forget. I think it leads into a larger point I'd like to make as well, is that wrestlers and sports people and also musicians find it very difficult to walk away from that life. And it's common across all those three industries and maybe other ones as well, maybe actors as well. But um, like these people have such an unusual job and they're in the spotlight for their job. And because of that, they get a lot of adulation and they get a lot of, I mean, it, it obviously fulfills an aspect of their personality that they need this, they need to feed off the energy, they need the buzz. And it's almost impossible for any of them to actually call it a day. Like another wrestler who retired perfectly was Ric Flair against Shawn Michaels um, in 2008. And it was a retirement match. Shawn Michaels super kicked him. There was a famous scene where he said, I'm sorry, I love you. And then he did the super kick. And then that was it. Ric Flair was done, except he wasn't done because a few months later he was wrestling Hulk Hogan in Australia for like a few quid <laughs> because he just couldn't walk away. And then he had a couple more matches and then he wrestled Sting in TNA in 2011 when they were both ancient and I think they were wearing t-shirts. It was just sad, sad to watch, sad to see. Um, and, and it's the same with bands as well. People often say, oh, you should go out on top. But like, what the fuck else are any of these people going to do? Imagine having something that you loved doing and then you stopped it. But then a week later or a month later, you could be like, fuck it, I could still do it and enjoy it yeah and somebody's offering you yeah somebody's offering you a lot of money as well like I mean you're used to having a certain level of income too I and mean, even if you're good at saving like when there's nothing coming in well just on that note quickly Sarah's dad just said to me earlier that Mike Tyson is coming back is that true yeah that's another extreme example of someone yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, he's in his 50s now and he's, there's been videos of him uh, yeah. in really really good shape and uh, training to come back. Now, now, I think he's coming back for some charity type of matches. Oh, okay. Uh, some right. exhibition type right. of things. But he's in very good shape. But yeah, I think it, it takes overall like a really strong uh, mindset to, to prioritize your legacy over the short-term benefits of, yeah. of the getting more money, getting back in there, enjoying one last night. <laughs> But you could yeah. say the thing about that is you could have one last night for like twenty years. Yeah. <laughs> and I think wrestling allows that. That's the problem with wrestling. It does and there's a there's a very funny part where after he gets the hip operation, he's in hospital and he said he's pain free in his hip for the first time in like ten years, and uh, his wife is there, Michelle McCool, in the hospital with him, and he's like, oh. 
maybe, you know, I kind of think maybe I could get back in the ring. And she's like, yeah, maybe sometime around April. That's usually when, because that's when WrestleMania is like, but she's completely taking uh, the piss out of him. Like, because every year yeah. he's like, okay, I'm done. I'm definitely done. And then when <laughs> April comes around, he's like, oh, fuck it, I could do one more. Okay, very good. Very interesting entertainment from Trader. And uh, Daly, what, what have you been thinking in, along the lines of entertainment? Um, yeah, at the moment, I've only really been watching one thing for the last while, and I'm very bad at keeping up with proper series of stuff lately. And because I recently moved to Sweden, we've moved um, we've moved from having like a sky uh, sky box with all the channels to um, having just basically the freeview channels in Sweden. We haven't set anything up yet, and we don't have Wi-Fi. Okay. So. So, yeah, we've got like four channels to watch. And I was like, oh, these are all going to be in Swedish. So pretty useless for me. But mm. <laughs> in the first few evenings, I found out that one of the channel- channels was showing Seinfeld in English from uh, eight to nine every week. Oh, good. And you may know, our trainer definitely knows that that's like one of my favorite shows. And I went back to it many times. And it always gives me a new lease of life uh, when I haven't seen it in a while. So haven't seen it in a good few years and I've basically started watching it all. But when we started it on the TV, it was near the end of the last season, it's season nine. So then we were hooked and I thought, all oh, right, they're not going to stop showing it now. But the, the program just started right again or the channel started doing it right again from episode one. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just getting into that loads again. And given it's the lockdown, I actually funny enough stumbled across articles like one was from The Guardian where it's actually an article about Watching Seinfeld in lockdown helps cheer you up because it's just basically a hilariously funny show that is nostalgic in the sort of life in the nineties, which I guess I can relate to, given the ages we came from and born in mid eighties. Yeah, it sounds and like a lifesaver there. For yeah, it was. It's like just two hours of, or one hour, two episodes that are cracking me up each uh, day, and I'm just remembering all this, how brilliant it was. And then it's also pertinent to mention now because Jerry Stiller. Who, oh yeah, uh, plays um, George Stanza's father. For anyone who knows the show, he passed away last week or the week before. Mm. He was ninety-two. So mm. I read. I ended up reading a few articles on him then, and a few of the, the like Seinfeld himself was interviewed and talking about what it was like to work with him. And for anyone who knows the show, he's like a brilliant char- character, and some episodes are based around him. And uh, like he has one episode where he invents the bro, the bra for men, calls it the bro. <laughs> It's one part is talking. Yeah, it's fucking brilliant. Oh yes, man, this and one uh, where he doesn't believe in Christmas, so he invents uh, the festival or the thing called Festivus, where they have to wrestle him and his son George have to wrestle each other uh, around a pole. Uh, that's instead of Christmas. And then there's another one where called stopping short, where he's in a car and there's a woman beside him and hits the brake and puts his hand out to stop him, but says hands deliberately cusps their breasts. <laughs> And it's just, but anyway, he's a brilliant character. But then I was intrigued. Then uh, Jerry Seinfeld in his interview was saying that um, originally for the character, so his character is a really loud, you could say, sort of agitated father. He's always shouting and very funny in impromptu comments. But Seinfeld said that him and Larry David, who's the co creator of Seinfeld, their original character, they had him down as being a really quiet, shy type. And he was meant to be bossed around by the wife. And they said in the first uh, pilot episode where they had him on, um, you're on Jerry Stiller he's meant to be a great um, uh, actor what do you call it you know without the lines just do it on the spur of the moment oh method actor and impromptu actor I guess. Imp- Impro- improviser yeah, yeah. Uh, no not method improviser sorry, yeah. sorry the word so apparently he just completely threw the script away and just his first response was to yell back at the wife and he said in his head uh, Jerry Stiller says he just felt nah this character's got to be aggressive his wife is shouting at him and uh, Seinfeld and Larry David said that when they saw that, they were like, no, that's it. Go with that. It's funny. Much better than what we had. And Very apparently good. then Seinfeld said, they used to basically come up with lines on the cusp and they just went with it because it was just funny. So, um, yeah, just watching Seinfeld and it's pretty funny. If anyone hasn't seen it, I'd say I'd throw on a few episodes. Great. And, and does it, does it uh, age well? Is there anything that seems dated about it? That's, or? that's the thing. Um, I mean, maybe. Yeah, I'm consciously biased because I love it anyway. But I, everything for me is just as funny. and still kind of, well, yeah, it's just because it's just ridiculously funny. But it's, it's like, if you've ever seen Curb Your Enthusiasm, which is by Larry yeah. David, the character George Costanza is based on him, apparently. So, yeah. And so, like in Curb Your Enthusiasm, there's a lot of kind of life commentary where you're like, that's so true. But it's like, 
never alluded to because it's social politics and stuff. Mm. But you're like, no, that's brilliant. <laughs> so like, what their most famous episode is called the contest. That's where they the four, it's based around four friends and they all put go in a bet to see who can abstain from masturbating the longest. It's <laughs> just like just you can see there's some funny anecdotes coming out of that. I'm out. And actually, on that, just uh, <clears throat> I was reading an article then on Larry David. And I just was amazed. It, it was one of the most successful shows ever. And I think maybe friends might tip it for money earned. Mm. And uh, But Larry David apparently is, is earning, he, like one year alone after he's left, he got like 250 million just from the syndication. It's insane, isn't it? Yeah. Selling it on. And apparently his syndication rights are one, it's capped to $1.7 billion. So he'll get money every year until that's reached. I was like just sitting on that, like, because he's not, you know, it's not being created anymore. Yeah, it's like amazing. Uh, I have a c- couple of points to make there. Uh, Frank Costanza, a brilliant yeah. character, and and he's one of the like he, him and uh, Kramer are like the kind of two zany characters in the show. Uh, I suppose you could say Newman is a bit mental as well. Like, but they, but they have a lot of these kind of crazy, unhinged type of characters, and I think that's what Seinfeld did really well. Um, but uh, Jerry Stiller actually went on to be in King of Queens as well. He played one of the dads of the two characters, yeah. and it was kind of quite similar to his character in Seinfeld. But I thought he was brilliant in that too. He just has this amazing comedic timing and just he puts so much into his uh, performance and it shows in his face and it shows it like you said he's kind of agitated yeah. the agitated old man he's just he's excellent in that yeah. role but funnily enough in he wasn't the very first person they cast to play that role in Seinfeld there's no, actually he wasn't. Yeah, yeah yeah there's another actor yes. appeared in one episode um i can't remember his name but uh, yeah I remember seeing it on uh, the Seinfeld box sets because they included the original episode in those, but for syndication, they refilmed the episode and placed Jerry uh-huh. Stiller in it uh, after the fact. Uh, so there you go. Point of trivia there. Yeah. So, yeah, and I read, sorry, I agree that, that they, Larry David, they just said, it, yeah, the first guy, they were like, that's just not funny. So they got in your own. Yeah. And actually, on that topic as well, I noticed watching Seinfeld again, the same happened with Jerry's dad. The first uh, season, Jerry's dad's a different old man, and then they just change it. Really, and the first guy isn't really funny, and oh, it's right. mad when they do that shows. Yeah, yeah, they just you know they just switch the actor and don't mention it anymore. I think I remember that. Was that he guy. was he like a bald old man with white hair? Uh, well, in the very very first bald man. Yeah, yeah, he had white like, hair and he was just really dull and. Yeah, I remember that boring. actually. Yeah, yeah. so that's the new guy was not funny. Yeah, that's that's mad. Okay, so you can see what they got rid of it. Hmm. It's just like don't mention it, and yeah, this guy is just new. Great stuff there. It's a classic. It has longevity, it seems, there, Seinfeld. Uh, any other points so, uh, to make on that before we uh, get out and watch it in lockdown? It's quite fun. <laughs> get out and watch uh, it. No, okay, great. And that brings us on to the midpoint of the show. And it's time for the song of the week. And our guest, Mr. Daly, is going to choose the song of the week. So over to you to introduce the song there, Mr. Daly. Can you please give us Hotel California and a specific live version? From the 70s, they did perform it in a, a gig in LA, I think. By the Eagles? By the Eagles, sorry, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry for anyone who doesn't know that, so yeah, by the Eagles. They're not saying so. yeah. All right, here we go. She got a lot of pretty, pretty boys. She calls friends. How they dance in the courtyard. Sweet summer sweat. Chambers gathered for the feast. 
stab it with their steely knives But they just can't kill the beast Last thing I remember I was running for the door Have to find the passage back To the place I was before Relax, said the nightman We are programmed to receive You can check out any time you like But you can never leave stuff there by the Eagles, a really nice live version of, of Hotel California. Uh, why did you decide to, to go with the, the live version? I think I just listened to it recently, it was stuck in my head and I remembered how good a song it was and then um, so I picked it and I found that live version and I play guitar and I'm a sucker for a guitar solo so that I think the guitar in that song is amazing but then interestingly reading about it, it sounds like it's about a really good topic where the, the Eagles writers um, of Glenn Frey and Don Hughley I think wrote the lyrics and um, they were interviewed and said it's about basically the hedonistic um, seedy underbelly of LA and mm-hmm. how they were just they cracked it a few years prior and basically it was they, they worded it as a song about the end of their innocence their decadence life, decadent lifestyle so it's when I heard that's what it's about and then obviously you reread the lyrics you're like oh yeah it's pretty a lot of metaphors in there and just yeah. Yeah. so the beast is basically the the life of LA, of the women, the drugs, the money. When you're, I think they were kind of country boys. I, I just thought it was yeah. just about a hotel. So, <laughs> <laughs> but no, that's it. apparently Hotel California itself is a metaphor for um, uh, the Beverly Hills Hotel, which apparently was a prominent hotel where a lot of musicians would have stayed in the seventies, and there would have been a lot of like drugs and parties and stuff. Well, great stuff there. Great, great song choice. Um, so let's go back to the FEC acronym. We've been through the F and the E and we're on to the C. It's cultural observations and trainer. Will you lead us out on your cultural observation? Sure. Yeah. So this is another one to do with advertising and advertising is going to come up again and again for me, I think, um, because I've been watching more television like uh, actual television with ads featured in it than I usually would uh, as a result of lockdown. I find myself switching on the TV a bit more frequently than I would have, so I'm seeing more ads. And there's a lot of stuff in ads. Uh, there's so much material there. You can talk about them forever. But um, So this one was for Calgon. So this is the culture of dubbing advertisements for different markets. So this is something that used to go on in the 90s quite a lot. You'd see an ad for like Radion or something, and it would be Kinder two Boy actors. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. or Yeah, that type of stuff, exactly. Uh, all those European brands and when they made the ad for like the UK or the Ireland market, they would keep the original actors in it and just crassly dub over an audio track of people speaking in English, which didn't match the mouth movements of the actors one bit. And it, it was almost acceptable in the 90s and it was, it was commonplace. But I was watching television there the other night and an ad for Calgon came on. Now, Calgon, as you'll be aware, is a washing machine fucking cleaning thing that gets rid of lime scale or whatever. And uh, Calgon is actually part of the Reckitt Benkheiser Group, uh, PLC, right? So that's a multinational consumer goods company. Um, they make all sorts of different things. They're like one of these massive global companies that has a million different products, and Calgon is one of them. So their revenue in 2019 was $12.846 billion, and their operating income was one9 Five four billion in 2019. Yet they're still foisting dubbed ads on the UK and Ireland market. Uh, they're part of the FTSE top 100 companies in the world, and they're foisting uh, dubbed ads on us in 2020. And I, I personally think it's offensive. 
get in some more actors, film a few different <laughs> takes. Come on, like you've got the money. Like why, why, why are they giving us this shit in 2020? It's, it's ridiculous. And it's like, you're watching an ad and you're like, okay, Calgon, I recognize that brand, but th- they couldn't film like five or six different versions of the ad for the different markets. They couldn't extend the filming period for maybe one or two days longer, get in a few extra. How many, how much are they paying these people to speak a few lines in a fucking ad about detergent? Like it's hardly that much money. I think they can afford it. And personally, the, the culture of dubbing ads might've been accepted in 1995 but in 2020 i think we've moved a bit beyond that and we should expect more from calgon <laughs> it's absolutely bizarre <laughs> and uh, as a percentage of their their budget their advertising uh, side of their budget must be 0. 0.0 uh, 0.0 fuck all like, the, the, like it's just the, like for even like english-speaking markets must be one of their biggest markets right you've got ireland the uk and the us uh, and that's a global product so why not get in some people who can speak English as their native language instead of giving us like the French or God knows what other version they were giving us? Are they, the only thing I can think of is it's a dishwasher thing, isn't it? Dishwasher yeah, salt yeah. Salt you put it Wash, in the dishwasher. Washing machines that longer with Calgon. Exactly, yeah, that's it. But come here, I was just uh, doing Toomey's trick of the trade here, the devil's advocate. But you reckon because they've done this, that ad is sticking way more in your head now and it's working? Because <laughs> okay. you remember a stupidly dumb dad and then you're like, oh yeah, that stands out because it's so... Shit, so. I have to say, if I didn't have yeah. a podcast to do, it wouldn't have stuck in my head. But I'm actively looking okay. for things to um, yeah, include as points on the podcast. So <laughs> I, I went looking for it. It didn't find me, I think. It, it, maybe it speaks to their underlying negative attitude towards advertising, that they're just phoning it in and someone like, on the board yeah. doesn't like it, advertising. He doesn't want them to advertise. <laughs> He's yeah. some personal vendetta against advertising. I'm not sure who, who are the other competing dishwasher, limescale removing products in the market that are vying for market share from Calgon. Maybe there aren't any, and maybe that's why they just take such a dim view of advertising and investing money in it. But it's still kind of... Uh, and is, is, is it just... Is it, is it like what, Is that the only product they have to have that sort of revenue and profit? Just no, that that's the company. Something? That's the overall parent company that had that revenue. Uh, Reckitt. Oh, yes. Yeah, so, uh, but I mean, they make, they make products like... Uh, Gaviscon, Airwick, Calgon, Clearasil, Silith Bang, Durex, Lysol, uh, Vanish. So they're a massive, massive organization. They won't throw you a quid. Look at the ads for Silith Bang, just to make a point there. They, they clearly put the effort and the money into yeah. those. Uh, <laughs> I'm Barry Scott. Everybody knows those fucking ads. But like, then, they're, then they're just giving fucking Calgon, just dubbing it and going, ah, piss off Calgon. You know? Washing machines live longer with Calgon. Free advertising for them there. Without further ado, let's move on mm-hmm. to Daily's Cultural observation of the week. Off you go, Mr. Daly. Well, I've got just a handful, but they're all revolving around the same team. And you touched on it on at the start. Basically, um, I'm in Sweden, so I've noted a few things about culture differences, which I'm getting used to between Sweden and where I'm from, Ireland, or even where I lived uh, in England. Mm, so, southern tip of Sweden. Observations from Sweden. the southern tip of Sweden with Kevin Daly. I'm in a constant battle of... Uh, against the Swedish timekeeping, where the one thing you don't do to a Swede is be late. Like, they think it's really weird if you're late. For those who know me, I'm, I'm <laughs> generally not the best at timekeeping. I think I was nick- another nickname once was Delaney. Oh, Delaney, yeah. <laughs> or, or, sorry, Rosario refers to you as a time liar, which I always thought was a time good liar, one. Time liar, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was one, basically, me versus uh, Swedes for uh, timekeeping. Um, cultural clash there, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> clash of styles. <laughs> They just, uh, uh, they've got a good sense of humor, but not with time. Um, another one is doing the laundry. Um, so we, we're renting, uh, renting an apartment um, and they do laundry day because most of them don't have the washing machine or dryer in an apartment. Basically, there's, in the basement, there's a laundry room when you have a booking system, just a calendar where you, you uh, say mark your name. And then there's a single key for the laundry room. It's just left there. And when it's your slot of five hours, you take the key and do it. But it is still like, I'm like, right, Tuesday. I've got to do like five washes in one day. And that'll do us for two weeks rather than just being at home. Mm. I'm going, I think I'll throw on a wash. Do you, but, um, do you prefer it? Prefer schedule uh, washes? At the, first, at the first, I didn't like it because I really like just going, I'll just throw on a wash and the stuff I need. But now it has its pros because you literally can do five washes in four hours and then you don't have to do anything for two weeks. I probably in the end still like having a machine where you can just do it yourself. It almost brings a sense of occasion to it, doesn't it? Washing day. Everybody yeah. get dressed yeah, does, up. Yeah. What, what do you do while the machines are running for four hours? It's in the basement, so you just say if 
Well, I'm working from home, so say if it's a weekday, I'll just go back upstairs. All right, okay. Well, if not, you basically lock the door, so like no one else can go in and you just have the key. So just you just need to get back within four hours to get your stuff ready. Yeah. And now we'll move on to the final part of the FEC acronym. It's the kernels of truth. And these are always can be a bit of a red herring because you never know what <laughs> to come up with the kernels of truth because yeah. you don't know what you're going to shoehorn into a kernels of truth, quite frankly. But we'll let Trader lead us out on the kernel of truth for this week. Yes, yeah, so this is from a show that I've been watching. Um, it's called The Trip, and I plan to talk about that next week on uh, the Feckin' Check-In. But um, they were oh, talking... So it's Steve Coogan and Rob Bryden uh, are in The Trip. I don't know if you've watched it. I won't talk about it too much because I'm going to talk about it next week. But um, they basically are away eating in restaurants, writing articles for The Observer in the UK, and that's the premise of the show. So it's just them eating and talking and usually doing a lot of impressions of celebrities and stuff. But... Um, they were on an episode of the recent season. They were talking about last words, famous last words from people. And uh, there's a, a quote from Karl Marx. And Karl Marx said, last words are for fools who haven't said enough. And I just thought that was brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> because there's lots of famous last words. Yeah, exactly. And there's lots of famous last words that are attributed to people that they're allegedly supposed to have said on their deathbed yeah. and stuff. And a lot of them are just, you're quite skeptical. Like, could somebody really get out these kind of meaningful sentences when they're like terminally ill and, you know, to, 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 to cement their legacy? Like, would your mind be working that way in uh, the final moments of your life? And I just love the way uh, Karl Marx just, uh, just fucking undermined the entire concept by saying uh, last words for fools who haven't said enough. I thought it was excellent. <laughs> Those would be great last words, actually. Yeah. I think this one could be applied to like a debate or an argument, like the the need that a lot of people have to get the last word in yeah. that we all have, maybe. Yeah, and I, I thought about that as well. There are a lot of people like that out there, and they can't just leave it so that... I remember like when you're younger and you have older brothers, they always had to get the last word. <laughs> like, I was the youngest <laughs> in the family. <laughs> and it would just be like... And then you just fucking like, keep going at it and keep going at it because you couldn't give in to being the person who didn't get the last word like so yeah, yeah. it's a it's a power yeah. thing yeah and uh bill Berg, the comedian was saying you have to know in a relationship like a romantic relationship when to get the last word in and when to take the knee and sometimes you just have to take the knee so you have to like yeah. crouch down like you know the american football phrase take the knee where you're just trying to run out the clock and you just literally have the ball beside you and you crouch down and you wait for the never the heard that to yeah. I thought it was a funny, funny way to look at it. You have to yeah. know sometimes when not to get in the last word, basically. Yeah, fully, and you only kind of learn that as you progress in a long-term relationship. I mean, at the start, maybe you're kind of protecting your own uh, image, maybe to a degree, but you have to concede a few more times as you go on, or else you'd never be happy. Like <laughs> you just, yeah, there's be too much animosity. It's a vital skill. And I wonder, is it a thing if you're like famous where you know whatever I say when I die will probably be noted or reported on? Well, if you were famous, you, you probably have it, uh, yeah, prepared. Yeah. You'd probably be like, this Plan. is it. This is my <laughs> last act. Yeah. But then what would you do if you thought it was your last words and then you realise, oh, I've got a few, a few days and left then you here. survived. Yeah. yeah. Or you then you completely, you're completely recovered. Like, yeah. shit, I've used them. Like, like the Undertaker. <laughs> yeah, you exactly. leave your hat in your gloves and then they have another match. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, very good last words there. And okay, Mr. Daly, will you take us through for your kernels of truth from the week? So, um, yeah, mine, I guess uh, I read an interesting article I thought uh, a few days ago, and it ties in a bit to the lockdown era. And it was about uh, our perception of time. And then it also tied into something I'd read probably a week cool. or two before that as well. So um, I read, it, it was commenting on how uh, time in lockdown for some, for people, this journalist in particular, was seemed to be flying by, even though it was the most mundane time ever, and he was doing sweet feck up, which kind of goes against the idea of you know you're doing something you love, time flies, and you're doing something really boring, time drives. Mm. And so the article went into a bit of the psychology of it, and um, I just found it quite interesting. And it was saying that this is true, and and I could also relate to it in lockdown, like weeks are fucking flying by for me like and i'm using sense of days so i'm like oh my god it's friday it was monday two days ago mm. it's like stuff like that and i would have done nothing monday to friday other than work from home went for a walk each day or something and she was saying in the article it says um uh, a key to uh, how we perceive time is our memories interesting and we also see time as prospectively which is in the now 
uh, we see the exact moment we're in in terms of this feels long or short. And prospectively, will it's like if it's something you enjoy, it'll fly by because you're having fun. If it's something you really hate, it's going to seem like an eternity. But then retrospectively, it's when you're remembering it. Apparently, I found it interesting because they, they flip. So that boring thing you were doing when you're remembering it seemed like it was actually quite fast, apparently, because you have no real memory of it. You don't create a lot of memories of it anyway because it's so boring. Whereas mm-hmm. if you were remembering, say, a week holiday where you did loads of new deadly things, the week probably seemed fast, but when you're remembering it, it probably seemed like a, lot, a good week because you've got loads of new memories. That's uh, fascinating. That's, yeah, a lot of that's pretty cool, that. yeah. Yeah, it was. I was really, it was really relating to me anyway. In lockdown, well, it's not a lockdown here, but life is pretty mundane, and the same things happen every day. So uh, for me, it's flying by. I'm amazed we're in summer already. And um, yeah, I've never really read it like that: the prospectively versus retrospectively, and how we create apparently our own subjective experience of time in our minds that's, when we do it. That's really that's cool. You, you I really like that one. It's like yeah, um, it seems. It almost seems like the in the moment you the more vivid the memory is, or the the more enjoyable the thing is the more kind of it stands out in your mind and maybe because it stands out in your mind you lose perception of time because you're focusing on the thing the the stimuli stimulus that's kind of i don't know i think i think you know what I mean. uh, but there was another go on sorry liz, liz has just handed me some sort of yogurt thing it's sorry a bit distracting i can hear you munching on something yeah Excuse me. Excuse me. So I'm just going to maybe eat this and I'm going to step off the stage for a minute myself. Be your to eat. <laughs> <laughs> I've noticed myself that um, the days are flying by, obviously. And yes, the day itself sometimes can drag. And I've noticed this like, across my life. And I had a short trip over to London, as you're aware, just before the lockdown kicked in. And I was there for mm-hmm. four days. And that seems yeah. like a, a two-week holiday. The, because I, yeah. like I went to a couple of gigs, I met up with a friend of ours, Goldie. Um, I went out to pubs, blah blah blah. Met up, met loads of new people. I was traveling on my own, so I met lots of interesting people, and we had nights in pubs and whatever. And it just seems like a, such a long and full trip, even though it was only four days and three nights. Um, yes, then four days can pass in the blink of an eye in lockdown. And like yeah. yourself, uh, we we have to submit our hours in my job on a Thursday for the full week. So you say, I did this number of hours this day on this project, whatever. And uh, each Thursday when that comes around and I see the notification going, please submit your time. I'm like, fucking hell, it's Thursday again. I'm like, I'm billing the company for this time, but I don't know if I should be. (laughs) (laughs) And apparently in the article I read, um, we create a thing called flashbulb memories, which is uh, when you remember a specific milestone. Um, Mm. So it's essentially, if it's a really mundane week, you might only have one or two flashbulb memories and then time just lapses like emerges into one big long extended couple of days say even though it might have been a week whereas i guess yeah like, yeah so very good i think, good. I think um, like yourself, you have a lot of different memories the moral of the story might be fill your days with interesting things and you'll be all the better for it in the long run more um in the memory bank that way as well so retrospectively yeah. it will seem yeah. like longer you have more yeah. to look back on and I guess you'll, in theory, enjoy uh, doing what you're doing, which I guess is exactly what you guys did in your last podcast. <laughs> ah, yes, yeah, so open us. Our previous podcast to the new listener was opening ourselves up to new experiences, and we did something new each week. Just on that, just one last topic on the time, uh, then I also the article touched on circadian rhythm, which I found this interesting. Just uh, We all have an internal 24-hour body clock, mm-hmm. um, but apparently... None are exactly 24 hours. Like, so some people are slightly less than 24 hours and some are slightly more. That's just your internal clock that if you never had a watch or anything on you, you'd still kind of know when to wake up and go to sleep and when to eat and stuff because it's innate in all living things, apparently based on the sun rising and setting. But anyway, apparently for the people who have the internal clock that's slightly less than 24 hours, apparently they are morning people because they wake up and they're generally not tired if they're allowed to wake up naturally because they... Um, their clock wakes up just before the 24-hour cycle. And apparently, if you're slightly over 24 hours internal cycle, then you're an evening person, which is when you are kind of groggy in the morning, but you get more energy in the evening. So there's a, there's a um, scientific evidence almost behind yeah, if you're a morning person or an evening podcasts person. Yeah, apparently, yeah. there's a lot of studies going into circadian rhythm at the moment. Well, I must admit, I'm neither a morning person or an evening person. Yeah, I am a teeter. I'm into Jesus. Nor am I. I should have said. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I I can I can fit into being a morning person when it's required. Like for months and months, I was getting up at half six yeah. or six in the morning and going to bed at ten p.m. 
But um, since I split up with Grace, um, I have been staying up a lot later and getting up later. And I can do both for periods of months and flip from one to the other um, if necessary. There you go. So uh, time. Time. Lessons with time. Yes, we can't escape it. The uh, never-ending march of time. And marching on to the end of this episode, I think we actually have a flashbulb memory in the making here. An unprecedented announcement that's going to be made live on this recording and it's going to go out tomorrow night for the first time that the listener and our friends have heard this. And that is an announcement from Mr. Daly, a milestone in your life. Over to you, Mr. Daly. What would you like to share? So basically... um me and herself got engaged last Ew. year. Ew. Yeah. Ew. Yeah. Ew. Throw it on this. Wrote it in the token WhatsApp announcements. So, uh, yeah, you heard it here first. Exclusive to uh, Cameras Action Doom Network. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Congratulations. Uh, yeah. Congratulations indeed, yeah, to both of you. Congratulations to hey, you. Okay. Yes, okay, so. your unnamed partner. Yeah, Sarah, you said her name. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations to you and Sarah. Cheers, guys. Great news. A great couple have been together a long time. And um, have you been uh, celebrating it this week? Uh, well, so last week, actually, when a trainer alluded to me sending him pint, uh, photos of pints, uh, that was when it happened. And we were sitting in an Irish bar in Mama having two pints of red ale. I think it was O'Hara's. So, uh, yeah, kind of celebrated a bit last week. No, pretty chilled here now. Pretty laid back. Cool. I'm looking forward to whenever international travel opens up again and I can uh, get back to Ireland to see your lovely months. And hopefully your wedding is still uh, good. Any news on that? We are still in the process of deciding when, when to postpone that. It's It'll be hard to do it in September looking at it at this stage, but we'll we'll come back yeah, to that. True. But, but uh, no, this, this is yeah. about you, Mr. Daly. That's great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> engaged. Engaged. Yeah, so, in the bag. Uh, so uh, I'm not going to announce anymore. So this is my work up. <laughs> Spread the word. <laughs> oh, it's great news. Well, uh, thanks for having me. Um, great fun. Uh, really enjoyed it. And, uh, all the best with the uh, future. Thank you very much. Yeah, I was going to say it's, it was great to have you. Great range of topics. And I like the way you broke set down some of the uh, different uh, sections with subsections as well. So we really got a good tour oh, of your, well, your I've observations. Been known, I've been known for my essay texts. So maybe my essay podcast as well. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought they worked really well. They're brilliant. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was great to have. Uh, great to have an old friend, and, and great that you could share that announcement, that exclusive announcement, which is going to be great for our ratings. Yeah. Screw <laughs> it. Something different. But I doubt uh, my my many fans uh, might, would boost your ratings. <laughs> and also, good facts from a trainer. Really enjoyed it. Disgusting. Yeah, cheers. It was a good episode. Very lively. Enjoyed it a lot. Great stuff. So that will bring us through to the end of the feckin' check-in. We went through our funny observations, entertainment, kernels of, bleh, culture and kernels of truth. <laughs> so that will wrap it up nicely. Um, this week, Trader, do you have any final words? Back off. Back off.